How does the Bond song go? Yeah. Um, I wish that we had a lot of money. That's all we can afford. Yeah. Whatever, we'll see. Just go. Just, <laughs> okay. Let's just do this. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Two Takes on Film. This is Heather here. I am joined, as always, by Wyatt. Hello. Hello, Wyatt. Um, Hi. Hey, how's, how's it going Hello. over there in Oregon? Oh, you know. Cool. Well, <laughs> today, today we have a super special episode for you guys. Uh, a James Bond themed episode, if you will. Um, we, of course, will be reviewing the latest film in the franchise, No Time to Die. Uh, but also, we'll we'll just talk about it. You know mm-hmm. what it's been, what it could be. Ooh. All, all of that. I'm excited to hear what I'm yeah. going to say. <laughs> Me too. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, I just have a little personal update for everyone because I know all of you care about me so much and you love to hear about my life. And just I, let's... I'm sorry. I'm just oh. so excited for it. Can I spoil it? No, please. Heather is the next James Bond. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, This podcast has been a really just. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast has been a really great um, just uh, springboard for me into Mm -hmm. my my Hollywood career. And I figure no better role to take on than that of James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Someone. A uh, producer of the latest film heard our podcast yeah. and said, "If that isn't the voice of the next James Bond, I don't know who is." Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry to be clear, she's not acting in the part. She's just get, lending her voice to. The they're going to be using an animated version of Daniel Craig in all of the following films, and yeah. then his voice is just going to be dubbed in by Heather's Me. voiceover work. Yeah. A real um, a new direction. I can't wait. Yeah. 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 And that's I mean that's what many people are calling for. This right. this needs to go in a different direction. Um the the issue the topic of feminism and how right. that has played a role in And just like race and yeah. just in our current climate. I totally. think so many people have been looking at the franchise of James Bond. They've been yeah. looking at nearly half a century of these kind of misogynistic womanizing straight white men playing sure. this character who doesn't treat women very well mm-hmm. uh has a, a a pretty rough background um mm. in, in treating other people and other races and they and they they've all been crying simultaneously we need the same straight white guy's body voiced by a mildly privileged white female 
in the future. That's what we need to change things. Uh huh. And uh, and they've delivered. So, <laughs> congratulations, Heather. Really, really blazing this trail. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Yeah, we're all we're all proud of you. Mm-hmm. We're all rooting for you. That that took a little bit of a turn that I wasn't. <laughs> Uh, wasn't expecting and I don't I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time talking about me yet because you know we'll get to we'll get to my career and the future of the franchise um in a little bit but going back to some other personal news Mm -hmm. that I did want to mention um today we are recording on Monday October 11th um and I just want to say I have a new niece a niece Uh was born today. Uh, Her name is Emma Joy, and she is eight pounds of pure cuteness. She has so much hair. She has the chunkiest cheeks. And I just, I just had to, to give her a little shout out on the pod. She's gonna, she has been a a loyal listener for the past, you know, nine months. Um, in the womb yeah. and uh now will forevermore be my biggest fan so um you know how they say like exposing babies to beethoven at a young age yeah. makes them like more intelligent or yeah. whatever yeah um heather's heather's sister would take speakers yeah. and wrap them around her her, her stomach and yeah. and play our podcast yeah just directly streamlined into mm-hmm. uh the baby's ears or Mm -hmm. just right into their brain really just an injection of our knowledge yeah um and infinitely already at only a couple hours old yeah she's showing insane um communication skills having full conversations yeah she's already expressed interest in taking up the mantle of the voice of james bond after (laughs) heather passes away keeping Uh, it in the family yeah yeah so um because nepotism is, you know, big thing right Alive now. Alive and well um, in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, and uh, really just incredible. Yeah. Also, eight pounds of pure joy, chubby's cheeks, and a ton of hair was last used to describe my dog. So, <laughs> kind of fun that she's also now taking on <laughs> that mantle as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but welcome to, <laughs> welcome to <laughs> the world, Emma. <laughs> We can't wait to have you as a guest on our podcast. I, I love the fact that one day she will get to listen back to this yeah. thing. The day Yikes. that she entered the world. <laughs> Why was that the announcement that was given? <laughs> um, I, don't think, I don't think that there's any audio recording anywhere of anyone announcing my uh my entrance into <laughs> this world true, same. <laughs> so honestly you know count yourself lucky gotta gotta take what you can get you know yeah 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 uh well i head to montana in um a week a week and a day a week and two days uh to go just squeeze her and kiss her and it's just gonna be the best so mm. just wanted to to uh, celebrate that with you all and share that with you uh, because it's all I have thought about today. So um, that's that. Just a little a little personal update for you there. Uh, but as we move into this special episode, um, talking about 007, James Bond, this incredible run uh, that has been happening over the past 50 years, not quite 50 years, 50 uh, 49 years, 49 yeah. years. 
Um, it's just incredible. So before we get into that, I did have a little game, if you will, for you, Wyatt. Um, mm. James Bond as a franchise is one of the highest grossing franchises slash film series ever. It's not, however, the top one. Okay. But it is on a list somewhere in the top 10. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have you guess maybe Mm -hmm. where, where it falls and what the other franchises or film series are that are on the list of the top 10. Are you ready? Yeah. Like I, this is difficult because in my mind, I separate film series um, right. aka like a trilogy a specific run of movies from like a franchise uh-huh. that's a lot like broader like the mcu mm-hmm. or something like that also you know now in the days of remakes and sequels that are 30 years in the making for example blade runner mm-hmm. came out in the 70s mm-hmm. and blade runner 2049 the only other movie to also be a like official part of Blade Runner came out in 2017. Right. Or excuse me, in 20, yeah, in 2017. It just it was October 7th, 2017. So it just mm-hmm. got its uh uh four-year anniversary, which is oh, crazy. Cute. Yeah. Um, that was the first movie you and I saw together at the Grauman Theater in yeah, Hollywood. It's yeah. true. Um I'm pretty sure that's actually the only movie I've ever seen there. Oh wow. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, pretty sure it seems like you would remember if you had seen anything else. So <laughs> you're right. It is you the sure. only yeah. movie I have ever seen. Um, but like for that that example, is that now a franchise? Is it a series? Because it's a direct mm. sequel. It just mm. gets hard to like it's kind tough. of differentiate. Yeah. Also, you said Bond is in there for something mm-hmm. as long running as Bond. Is mm-hmm. inflation being like taken account for? Is it mm-hmm. not? Because obviously, like Doctor No, the first James Bond movie came out yeah. in 1962. Yeah. Whatever it made, like, are they counting for the inflation between? Yeah. 50 years ago and now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna before These we get started. Some really the James Bond lands at number seven on the list. Ooh, very close. Ah, it's six. It's six. Yeah, yes. I knew it was six yeah. or seven. Yeah. I went with seven just because in my mind I was like 007. Yeah. Maybe that it's would meant be cool. to be. Yeah. But, well, hopefully it'll get bumped back eventually. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Uh, okay, so here we go. Uh, do you want to start with number 10, perhaps? Um, <laughs> that's really difficult. Just, just. Oh, I can give you more. I was just wondering if you wanted to start from the top or the bottom. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, we can start from 10 and move to one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. I so- was like, wow. Just- <laughs> No context. No, just, no that is the tenth. No I mean, help. I could try, but no. Okay. Give me some help. All right. So coming in at number ten, we have a, a franchise that includes seven films in total, and um, the highest-grossing film in that franchise made uh, one point one billion dollars. And I feel like this is going to, let's see. I don't know what other clues I can give you without giving it away. Is it it still running? Is it still running? Um, 
I don't, I don't know if there's anything coming. <laughs> uh, let me look up. What genre of film? Uh, it would be fantasy. So I think I know what it is, but I think you might be wrong about something. Is it Harry Potter? It's not Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Never mind. Then. Um, let's see. Um, well, it it centers around <laughs> or it includes a focus on a, a piece of jewelry. Seven films, though. How? How is it seven films? Um. Well, there are. Is it Lord of the Rings? It's Lord of the Rings is included, right? In the so, greater, it's called the Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what seven films? You have so three, three other... Lord of the Rings, three Hobbit. Um. Uh-huh. What's uh, the seventh? Um. Let's see, Jackson series. Mm, what? That's, that's six films. Um, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. I'm like, for everyone else uh, who's listening to this, I'm, oh, I think it's also including the 1978 Lord of the Rings. Oh, oh okay. I think that is the seventh. Yeah, for everyone listening, sense. I'm looking at this list on Wikipedia. Um, and that is what is uh all right, guiding all of this hugely threw me off i thought you <laughs> thought it was uh harry potter because there was only no. seven harry potter books but in fact no. eight films no no no, so no i thought no. you mistook it there no yeah i don't know if i would say that that first one counts especially because monetary wise yeah you could take that out and it probably would still remain at number 10 yeah totally that first one made 30 million dollars yeah so. so not much Okay, moving on to number nine. Uh, this franchise includes 16 films. It's highest grossing film. Uh, it's, hold on, it's the Fox X-Men franchise? No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, um, it's highest grossing film made $1,084,939,099. And this includes uh, a series that you and I watched part of on our road trip. Which road trip? The Oregon road trip. Wait, wait, what did we watch? What? Is it the DCEU? Um, so it's it is listed as the Batman franchise. Oh my gosh, this list is janky. That's not a that's not a real It includes no. the Nolan series, the Burton Schumacher series, um Joker. No, that's not DC. a franchise. That's not a franchise. The Lego Batman that's a, movie, Catwoman. That's a, no, no, no. Catwoman? It includes Catwoman? That's the why yes. it's, no. <laughs> no, I reject as well as that entry. The 1960s TV series. <laughs> it includes the TV series as a movie in the franchise, or like the 60s movie, Batman. Um. Either no, way, the, te- the television not, series. See, this is what I'm talking about, folks. 
that's not a film franchise those are not <laughs> connected in any way shape or form some of okay where we go they're from connected here. as in they all have the same main character so yeah. i guess this sounds <laughs> not correct but like they're not story-wise they're not connected um, at all where we go from here i think is a, a little bit more clear uh-huh. okay, okay. <laughs> going to number eight uh this and all, yeah oh never mind this franchise includes 13 films um the highest grossing film made 785 million dollars is it what i just guessed to the last one yes yeah it's fox's x-men franchise which i knew had 13 but when you said 16 the thing is there's a big gap between that and something that it's probably going to be number one which is Mm -hmm. 25 films Uh and in between those two as far as legitimate franchises yeah there's nothing yeah as far as amount of movies made yeah. So in my head, I was like, man, maybe I just totally misremembered. There's actually 16 of Fox's X-Men films. Yeah. So I just went with that. Yeah. That's frustrating. 13. That includes <laughs> the main series, the Deadpool series, the Wolverine series, and the New Mutants. And the highest grossing of those was, does it say which one it was? Mm-hmm. Do you have a guess? Mm-hmm. Was it Logan? No. It was either The Last Stand or X2. Deadpool 2. Oh, oh, Deadpool. Yeah, I was forgetting yeah. Deadpool is yeah. uh, counting those. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Moving on to number seven, we have a, a franchise that includes 10 films. The highest grossing film came in at $1.5 billion. I'm going to guess it's the Fast and the Furious franchise and they're counting um, Hobbs and Shaw because there's only been nine films in that series, but they're counting Hobbs and Shaw as the 10th. Yep. Yep. You are correct. And Fast and Furious 7 was the highest grossing at 1.5 million. Correct. Directed by Justin Lin, who we just reviewed um, Malignant. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Coming in at number six, as we have already mentioned, is the bond franchise oh yes um with uh this includes it says that it includes 27 films so yeah there's two there's been 25 official films uh-huh. there was one so basically um connery stepped away yeah from the role after i believe six movies and uh-huh. then i'm forgetting the name of who replaced him uh-huh um uh, I have it here. Um, it was George Lazenby. Yeah, Lazenby. Lazenby. Yeah. Who was, I think, there for one movie. Mm-hmm. And then immediately replaced because Connery came back to the franchise. Yeah, so Connery then, was only there for five. And then okay. it was George. And then he came back for one more. And then I think there was one that Connery made at some point in there that was an unofficial work based off of Ian Fleming's books. Hmm. which is what James Bond is based off of. Yeah. That like some people count, but some people don't. Yeah. So I think those two are the films that aren't official in the canon. So it makes it 27 if you count them, but then there's just 25 official ones. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky. Do you know the the highest grossing one, which came in at 1.1 billion? Um, probably Skyfall. Mm -hmm. Skyfall. Yep. Yeah, okay 
coming in at number five, uh, there are 10 films included in this bit. And it also, its highest grossing uh, film earned $1.1 billion. Um, and oh, Star Wars. No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Uh, there is one coming out later this year. What? There's another one coming out later this year. Uh, the newest one in this franchise is coming out later this year. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I can't. My mind's blinking. Spider-Man. Oh, okay. No, that doesn't count. That's not. Those are separate trilogies. First of all, you have. No, that's so stupid. <laughs> I hate that. Okay, first of all, it has the original Tobey Maguire trilogy, Spider-Man, yes. Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. Yes. And you have the Andrew Garfield 2 movies, Amazing yes. Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. Now you're about to have the third of the Tom Holland films. Uh, let's see, Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. So that's eight. And then does it have End of the Spider-Verse in there? It does. And then one other individual standing Spider-Man movie, or is it counting one of the other MCU films as an official Spider-Man film? Um, it is counting Venom. What, Venom as in 2018 Venom? Yeah. So actually we didn't get into this last episode, but there's a post-credit sequence. Huge, huge spoilers alert. Alert. If you haven't watched Venom, let there be carnage. But there's a post-credit sequence linking Venom, the universe that we know, to at least the MCU's version, Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man. But then in that case, wouldn't it let there be carnage actually count as well? well also, okay. either way, doesn't matter because that's not that <laughs> does not count. You don't just get to take like a specific character mm. and call it. Yeah. I mean, you can, but yeah. So That's it's annoying. it's included under the umbrella of Sony's Spider-Man universe. Hmm. Yeah. But I mean, te- technically, with the release of actually, I might be biting my words a little bit in advance. Um, with the release of No Way Home and all the speculation mm-hmm. we've had with that opening up the multiverse and allowing like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's version of the characters to possibly enter that universe Mm -hmm. then and we know venom is now linked to it and Mm -hmm. if into the spider verse makes an appearance at all Mm -hmm. then technically those all would be linked but that's the only way and even that convoluted to say the least (laughs) that's number five that's number five that's number five moving up to number four there are four films uh this would be a series um the highest grossing film earned $2.7 billion. Goodness. Worldwide? I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it has to be, obviously. <laughs> Only four? There are four. Are you sure? <laughs> I am positive. So what's tricky about this is that it's a series within a franchise that is also on this list. If that helps you. 
Oh. Wait, what? It's a series within a franchise. Oh, okay. So it's the Avengers films. Yes. Got correct. it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Uh, moving See, on. See, that's so <laughs> stupid because obviously I know MCU is number one. And MCU actually deserves, <laughs> yeah. Because that's like you're having two versions of your definition. You're having yeah. both a film series, which I guess yeah. the Avengers, Avengers films technically are. You have Avengers. They have other titles, but technically yeah. it's Avengers 1, 2, 3, and 4. Yeah. But then I know that MCU is going to be number one. Yeah. If those are all included, that seems yeah. it's double have... dipping. It's yeah. double dipping for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's only so obviously Transformers and Star Wars and MCU at the top three. Uh Transformers is not in the top 10, actually. Really? Yeah. That's surprising to me. Yeah. Transformers makes an insane amount of money. It is on the list, but it is not top 10. What where are they at? Uh, Transformers is number 13 on the list. Um, Coming in at number three is one uh, franchise that you already mentioned. There are 10 films included and um, the highest grossing film earned $1.3 billion. And it really makes me want some butter beer. Oh, wait. You already mentioned it. Oh, we didn't mention it. It didn't get an official spot. It's counting um it's counting the uh um oh my gosh, what's the name of the last Fantastic Beast. Yes, sorry. Yeah. It's counting yes. the Fantastic Beast. So it's okay, the it's the Wizarding Wizarding World franchise. So the eight yeah. Harry Potter films and then the two Fantastic Beast films. Which is fair. That actually is a franchise. Yeah. But then you have some entries on here that are specifically series. Yeah. (laughs) It's a bad list. I give you that. (laughs) Uh, And then coming in at number two, uh, a a franchise that has 12 films included, the highest grossing film being two billion. Mm -hmm. Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then coming in at number one. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, 25 films, highest grossing film earning $2.7 billion. And how much has it earned as a total? $23,369,425,855. The next one, Star Wars, um, earned $10 billion. So $23 billion compared to $10 billion is just wild. It is, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, some honorable mentions for the rest of the top 25 list. Um, the Despicable Me movies, um, Pirates of the Caribbean. I bet you Toy Story is in there. Toy Story, yeah. Hunger Games, Frozen, um, The Twilight Saga. Frozen? Just with two films? With two films. Yeah. Yikes, those films yeah. made a lot of money. Wild. Um, Iron Man wraps up the list at number 25 see but like that's already in there totally. how, how many of you know so one is mcu how many of mm-hmm. two to 25 are other mcu properties okay just so, separated um avengers spider-man has to be included in there too i mean at least partially yeah. uh-huh um then we have probably just uh, iron man just iron man yeah yeah yeah, because Thor, uh, 2011 and Dark the World didn't make that much money. Captain America, if you count Civil War as the third, which it is, mm-hmm. could possibly come close, but Iron Man definitely. Yeah. 
pops that. So, yeah. So, uh, that's fun. Sorry. That was a uh, frustrating list, but, um, your, your great knowledge continues to just blow me away. So well done. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that great knowledge. I feel like <laughs> I, I got all of them wrong. Uh, well, I don't know that I could have guessed any of those. So mm-hmm. I probably could have guessed maybe some of the ones that were on the 25 list, but sure. I don't know that I would have had any sort of idea where they would have fallen. So that's that. But um, as we mentioned, James Bond and the franchise is sitting there at number six, um, total worldwide gross of $7.3 billion. Incredible. So, yeah, I mean, inflation must, no way inflation is being taken in California because it would be well, well above that. Yeah. So I didn't actually read more than literally just looking at this list. So, mm-hmm. um, oh, this is, let's see. Um, mm, I'm not going to say that because I don't know where that little thing is. <laughs> Great thing guys is if you're listening to this and like me, you also disagree with it. Uh, it's Wikipedia, so you can just go on there and change it. <laughs> change it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that being said, I have no hate towards Wikipedia. I think Wikipedia totally. is a fantastic resource and much love to all the people who actually take time to, to you know, write those articles yeah. and give us yeah, the information. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. They, do, they literally make nothing for it and uh, have taught you way more so than much. you probably think they've taught yeah. you. Yeah. I was actually reading something about um, our pal, Matt Amodio, who is currently mm. on an incredible winning streak on Jeopardy. Um, mm-hmm. And he, it is just incredible, the breadth of knowledge that this guy possesses. And he credits yeah. it to literally reading Wikipedia pages, like late into the evening. He's also just an incredibly mm. intelligent guy. He's getting his PhD yeah, say, in yeah, just... artificial intelligence at Yale. Um, but in addition to that, he credits a lot of his learning to Wikipedia. So thanks Wikipedia. Yeah. Thanks Wikipedia. Always got our backs. Always. <laughs> Take it away, Wyatt. All right. So we're just reviewing one movie this episode. So kind of unique. As Heather mentioned, we're reviewing No Time to Die, the latest uh, entry into the James Bond series. But I wanted to take this time to kind of lay some history down of or on the James Bond franchise. Because mm-hmm. this latest one truly is a historic um, kind of end point to a to a certain degree uh and i think it's important or fun to kind of go back and look at the franchise as a whole Mm -hmm. look at how we got here look at why what the franchise has done in -hmm. the past stage has been so unique and interesting um and in good ways and bad ways and that way ideally if you haven't seen no time to die even if you're not that big of a James Bond fan as a whole, you can go into it kind of with a new um, understanding of the character, the lore, the yeah. franchise. Yeah. Um, so I won't take too crazy long because there have been, like we said, 25 official, 27, if you're counting some extra ones, films over the course of 49, just coming up on 50 years. So mm-hmm. 
it's a historic franchise has a lot to it. Um, but I do kind of want to just discuss it. In yeah. general. So Absolutely. James Bond or 007 is a member of MI6. He's a fictional British spy. Um, and his first, he's based off of books written by the great Ian Fleming. Uh, but his first big screen outing was in 1962, 49 years ago, played by the great Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah, there you go. It's pretty I knew good, you huh? going to do an impression. <laughs> um, it wasn't, but okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, played in the movie Dr. No. So if you're ever at like a trivia night sometime soon and someone asks, I feel like I've I've had this question at trivia night multiple times. Like, what was the first James Bond movie? Because everyone mm. thinks it was like, James Bond won <laughs> I don't know, like, or like one of its but Dr. No 1962 was the first James Bond movie and over the course of 50 years 25 movies and seven different Bond actors we have gone our way now to the 25th movie No Time to Die uh, historically the character has been um, a bit troubled in its representation at least uh, on the way we look at it now um always been a very uh slick womanizing kind of character um which you know there's the classic bond girl trope uh each movie kind of consists of one or multiple um famous actresses or models at the time to feature as who bond is sleeping with that movie (laughs) Mm. um and that's about all they play they usually get killed or he just moves on by the end of the film sure. um so like, like i said a little bit troublesome um although i think that that's it's important to note because i think that the franchise is trying to make significant strides to mm-hmm. not necessarily even correct that mm-hmm. but to well to course correct to, to try yeah. to change that narrative change it. A bit. yeah um also another historic thing about each bond film each bond film has an opening um scene usually a kind of a big action opening set piece and then is followed by an original song mm-hmm. uh typically drafted to be written by uh, a famous artist of yeah. that day and age so yeah. you can look back at james bond songs of the past and it's funny to look at like who they got mm-hmm. like aha saying one of them oh my gosh um, like take on me yeah like uh i'm trying to think of other ones you know, through the 90s, it was more like punk bands and stuff because that's mm-hmm. who was popular. So yeah. all sorts of different styles. And they usually are accompanied by very intricate um, opening title sequences with a yeah. lot of animation and artistic kind of things, which nowadays feels maybe a little cliched, maybe a little old fashioned, cheesy, mm-hmm. but I still really, really love it. Yeah, It's definitely like a product of the old, but going into the James Bond film, even in 2021, sitting in theater, knowing we're going to get this really beautiful rendition of no time to die by billy eilish mm-hmm. um to this intricate animated kind of um maze of That's bond cool. type artistry mm-hmm. i really really enjoy it and yeah. I, I i just enjoy opening title sequences in general it gives mm-hmm. me a good kind of opening to the film um no time to die actually features the longest opening sequence at 22 minutes before That's we actually long. get the the um the opening credits mm-hmm. overall it's the longest Bond film of all time at two hours and 43 minutes, which when texting my friends about going to see this movie um, on Thursday or whenever it was, when it came out, I 
said, you know, what, what showing do you guys want to go to, you know, 730, 740, 820. Mm-hmm. Also keep in mind, this is the longest Bond film at 2 hours and 43 minutes. It would seem, in fact, there is much time to die. <laughs> <laughs> so very stupid, but I was kind of proud of it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the hallmark of all of the James Bond franchise is that it is a one-off character so every movie stands alone as its own story Mm -hmm. um and the actor of james bond can basically be replaced at any time like we said literally there have been actors that have been replaced by other actors and then come back and play the same actor there's always been this kind of question of is james bond actually a character that we're seeing played over and over again or is it a moniker that they give to whoever is filling that specific position of 007 yeah. mm-hmm. MI, mi6 which actually this most recent film kind of gives an answer to saying that yeah. the 007 is just a number that they give to whatever spy is currently filling that role in mi6 yeah. but james bond is actually a specific person moniker whether it's whether it is that character's real name or yeah. not it's very specific to him because the newest film actually has a 007 that has taken his place since he mm-hmm. retired mm-hmm. however she operates under a different they actually don't give her name but she she isn't considered james bond Bond, or bond in any sort yeah um but that's always kind of been a question up until just last week uh and you you'll have movies where you know significant things will happen there's even a film in the james bond lore where he gets married at the end of it and in the closing seconds of that film they get married in the end are driving away and at the end the bad guy who you realize didn't die sneaks up behind him and shoots the wife through the window of her car and she dies and the film ends like that in the very next movie they act like it did not happen oh my gosh not only does the character just act like a new person he's literally being played by a new actor so it's just they they've always approached it with that sort of just uh you can throw away the old and just completely bring in the new and it has allowed them to completely revitalize the kind of enthusiasm for the character every time however it does i think it isolates a good amount of people that aren't just inherent fans of the franchise mm-hmm. that just don't care too much about the character because it's just new every time it's always they've never been particularly good films they're just kind of popcorn flicks that you go to see a new spy thriller like every bad guy has the same motivation they want to take over the world because they want to take over the world and mm-hmm. who cares why they're big bad guys that's what they do mm-hmm. um you know like they've never been particularly quality films um outside of their kind of fun suspense drama technical aspects he's always been known for his gadgets his fight scenes his yeah. big stunts that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and then in 2006 mm-hmm. martin campbell directed casino royale which is actually the second film in the Bond franchise to be called Casino Royale. Casino Royale was actually the fourth film in the franchise in 60, 65 or 66. That's the thing is they used to come out so quickly. Mm -hmm. Like Connery's first five films came out in like six years. It's kind of crazy. Um, Whereas now there's a significant break between each one. Actually the space between Skyfall in 2015, or excuse me, Spectre in 2015 and No Time to Die in 2021 six years is the longest time in between two bond films since the original films came out. Mm -hmm. Um, But in 2006, 
Casino Royale starring Daniel Craig came out and people had major backlash to this film when it was announced. First of all, the casting of Daniel Craig, James Bond has always been brunette. He's Mm. always been taller, leaner, not super muscular. Daniel Craig, he's tall, but he's not like towering. He's kind of stockier in stature. He's blonde, blue eyes. I remember his blue eyes was like a significant thing that people really hated, which is funny because Daniel Craig's blue eyes are like amazing. Gorgeous. They're gorgeous. They're his best movies by far. And like, it's kind of ironic and like funny how much the movies use his blue eyes, like as shots. The intro to Skyfall zooms in on his eyes into like a transition of like underwater, like three times in the opening moments. Like, they, they really use that almost to rub in the face. However, he's gone on to be well-regarded as one of the best, if not people's favorite Bond actors of all time. So he really has proved that wrong, but people were very upset when it first happened. It had been a while and the movie took a direct rift off of Batman Begins in 2005 and offered, so Batman Begins, we've discussed this on the podcast before, but coming off the back of the 90s Batman films, Joel Schumacher's Batman films that were schlocky and cheesy and cartoonish. Batman Begins took the character, grounded him, made him gritty, and made a more realistic kind of approach to this character. Um, This movie, same thing, the Pierce Brosnan films of the Mm -hmm. 90s and the early 2000s, like uh, Die Another Day or, or whichever film came out in 2002, maybe, yeah, live free no not live free die Die another day yeah die another day with pierce Mm -hmm. brosnan his last film literally features a sequence at the end of the film where he is on a surfboard using a parasail to to surf a tidal wave through like icebergs oh i mean it's it's just truly truly silly silly cartoonish stuff yeah and people were just kind of done with it and you know, all the gadgets in the films were things you would see in like your Sunday morning or your Saturday morning cartoons, like mm-hmm. Tom and Jerry style gadgets of like little gizmos that are like, boom, 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 and like something yeah. big happens or whatever. They weren't like tactical weapons that would make mm-hmm. any sort of sense. Now, Bond has always been about his kind of special gadgets, his mm-hmm. special watch, his special pen that does this. It's fun to keep those alive. And the new franchise really does do that, but grounds it a little bit more to like, what can we make that's inventive and fun and movie-like? Yeah but also doesn't feel so, so, so unrealistic that like an actual spy couldn't utilize this in some mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so people were kind of done with that. And then Ben Begins came out and showed that characters undergoing this kind of gritty transformation can really work and resonate with modern audiences. And then also the Bourne movies came out and showed that spy movies don't have to be glossy. They don't have to always mm-hmm. be wearing suits and this and that. Spy movies can be hard-hitting and brutal Mm -hmm. and really show kind of the the dirtiness of like that groundwork of being a spy and being undercover and the fighting styles and all that so it took notes from all that and delivered what i think is probably the best bond film of all time in casino royale 2006 Mm -hmm. including a great great villain performance by mads mickelson who was there were some fantastic gambling scenes in there what i loved about his villain is he wasn't the head honcho there was no desire to make him the big bad of everything and anything. He wasn't planning to end the world. He just had personal stakes over James Bond as a character. And he also had stakes. There were games where they would play of poker with lots of money involved, where it was necessary to the life of James Bond, where for him to win that game, 
And then the big bad guy of the movie sitting across from him had the same goal. Hmm. You felt stakes for that character where if he didn't win the game, not only would he not beat James Bond, but his life would actually be in jeopardy too. He had something to lose and it made a very desperate, vile, brutal villain out of him, including just like Mads Mikkelsen being an absolute, I love him. Great, great film. Absolutely love it. Immediately silenced all the haters. Hmm. And one thing it really did is it presented an older James Bond. Craig going into the movie was already like mid thirties, later Mm thirties. He had a more grizzled look to him. You could tell that this was a James Bond who wasn't this new young man to MI6. He hadn't just been drafted from the army, you know, that kind of thing. He, he had been around, he was already being addressed as commander bond. Mm -hmm. Um, There was history to this character, not that explored, but you could tell in its characterization that there was something behind him every time he was in a fight every time his life was on the line there were years of his life to back up the importance Mm. of that rather than this like new breed kind of fresh face bond yeah and they announced going into this film that we're now starting an arc with james bond with daniel craig's iteration of james bond Mm -hmm. where the movies were actually follow one another which Mm. had never happened before right and people were not sure about that, but they loved that first movie so much. They loved him so much that they said, okay, we want to see more. We're down for this. We, mm-hmm. we're, we're all in. And so moving on, um, Mark Forster, who's the director of like World War Z, uh, he directed 2008's Quantum of Solace, which people should know every Bond film has a different director mm. and they've all been British. Bond is a very British character mm-hmm. uh, up until this last one uh and so mark forrester directed quantum solace took way too heavy of inspiration from the born franchise it mm. turned into a shaky cam fighting mess of a story unforgettable not unforgettable very forgettable villain and plot just didn't land super well the only significance really in the film was that it was the first film ever to directly follow another bond film mm. and there's some personal things that happen right at the end of casino royale that we actually see Bond as a character face in Quantum of Solace. He actually yeah. has to kind of struggle with these things. Um, and so there's some significance there. Whether or not you like the film as a whole, when the movies carry over and you feel weight and you care about the characters, that adds something to the film, even if the rest of the quality isn't there. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, if a movie tanked, if, if, if that movie was made with a character that repeated and just can't, like started new every film, it would not be nearly as memorable. But because the character has some depth to him in past films and empathy in the audience, it it last it's it's stuck around in the minds of audiences probably longer than it deserves to. Um, and then 2012, the director of American Beauty uh, was brought in, wrote Perdition, was brought on to direct. Uh, Sam Mendes directed Skyfall and this movie first of all one of the best Bond films of all time the highest grossing Bond film of all time like we mentioned also the most awarded it was up for Oscars in editing uh, cinematography by the great Roger Deakins um, and I believe visual effects or sound design Um, there was even talks of it getting a best picture um nomination kind of in the wake of dark Knight not getting its best picture nomination when everyone was saying we should expand the best picture nominees mm. we should make them more there should be able to be films that are these kind of um 
you know, popular films that are yeah. still, you know, classified as good enough to get a best picture nomination. Mm-hmm. So there, it ultimately didn't end up getting that, but there was talks. Uh, and I don't personally think it's the best one, but it certainly is one of the better films, one of the most cohesive Bond films. It stands alone as its own story and yet works as a perfect middle piece to the Daniel Craig era. You and I were able to see this just a week and a half ago in theaters, which was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to think your kind of initial thoughts on it, having never seen a Bond film ever. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh I had seen the end of that movie Skyfall. of okay, Skyfall, yeah. Uh, but yeah, hadn't ever seen a full one. So um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I'm not typically drawn to more of the heavy action films, um, but I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed the story and relationships that he had and yeah, really loved um Javier Bardem as mm-hmm. the the villain in that film I thought he was excellent so yeah another great villain performance in that film and one that dared to ask we had seen Craig grapple with the what does it mean to be a 007 what does it mean to be a spy on your personal lives but this villain dared to say what does it mean to be a 007 in terms of your country in terms of who mm-hmm. you serve in terms of who you affect uh, because he was also at one point a part of M- MI6, yeah. basically served the same role. He was kind of the dark side of James Bond's coin. Um, and the whole movie is, as a whole dares to look into the past of a character that's always remained ever in the present. Mm. This is a character that's always been here and now. Mm-hmm. And when you see the next movie, it'll be there and then. And when you see the movie after that, it'll be there, there, and then, then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's always in the present. And this movie yeah. actually said, well, how did they grow up? Like what, yeah. you know, and it doesn't go into too, too much detail, but it dares to explore the past mm-hmm. of this ever-present character. And people really enjoyed it, emotionally resonated with them. And they had fallen in love enough with this iteration of the character to really care about seeing the past james bond has never been a character while people kind of idolized him as this like oh i wish i was cool as him as slick as suave as him i wish i could fight like him or be a spy little boys whatever wanted to be james bond no one had ever truly cared about as a human before Mm -hmm. and i think this movie first brought about this franchise as a whole excuse me this series as a whole but this movie really brought about the deep empathy for the background and the humanity of James Bond. He's Mm -hmm. not just a killing machine. He's not just a tool for a government to use to dispatch, you know, dozens and dozens of hordes of uh, faceless, you know, goons and one big bad that's trying to rule the world. Every Mm -hmm. movie there's consequences to his actions. There's weight behind his, um, decisions there's emotion behind his actions mm-hmm. um, and this movie really did that 2015 specter comes out and they bring on sam mendes to direct again the first time a director has directed two movies yeah. let alone in a row yeah um and such a disappointment of a film an overblown over contrived mess of a film that sloppily attempted to connect the modern era of james bond that we knew with the lore of old James Bond. Hmm. And what happened is you basically had a decade of them saying, Hey, we're going to try this thing with James Bond. We're going to give him an arc. And people are like, Oh, we don't know. We're not sure about that. And they said, no, trust us. So they went for it. And people said, yeah, you're right. We like this. We trust yeah. you. We're invested now. And then they said, 
yeah, but actually he's also still part of the rest of it too. And they're like, what the heck? Why did you just get us all worked up for this new thing? We get it. We were hesitant, but we bought into it. And mm-hmm. then you tried to, and what happened is there were just reveals and um, just things that happened towards the end of, this, end of that film that just took away from the weight and the emotion of the character and made him feel so much cheesier, so much like more self-standing than what had been presented in the rest of the series Mm -hmm. so much so that the director of the most recent film actually proposed an idea that the second more like the last third of specter had been a dream Hmm. that he was uh he was imagining because there were such bad uh kind of ultimate reveals to the story and the character Mm -hmm. but ultimately that would prove to be just as cheesy or if not more cheesy as the rest of it. So they decided against that. Mm-hmm. And then that finally, after all that leads us to 2021's no time to die. Mm-hmm. This was one of the first movies that got bumped back from the pandemic. Yeah. A trailer for this film came out in November of 2019. So almost two full years since the trailer came out, it was supposed to come out in, I think it was April 20th of 2020. Mm-hmm. So it was one of the first films MGM said, nope, we're going to push it back okay. because of the pandemic. And it just kept getting pushed back over and over and over and over again, almost a full year and a half. Crazy. Uh, yeah, which is absolutely crazy. It's really one of those films where I kind of thought, man, maybe we'll just never see it. Hmm. Like Maybe they'll just wrap it up and throw it away or put it yeah. in. The- and, and part of me was worried that they're pushing it back had nothing to do with its quality or i mean had less to do with the pandemic and also more that they were maybe scared that it wasn't that good of a film yeah um but luckily you know i'm proud to say that i don't think that's the case because i think Mm. this movie stands on its own as a a really really solid james bond outing and a really really good entry into this daniel craig era of james bond um so it's directed by carrie joji fukunagua who's one of my favorite uh up-and-coming directors working today he directed um uh sin nombre uh spanish film in like 2009 i believe hmm. and then he directed beast of no nation um that was after directing the first season of true detective which i think is probably one of the best single seasons of television ever made uh and then for netflix he directed uh maniac starring jonah hill and emma stone mm-hmm. uh netflix original miniseries i think it's eight or ten episodes long which was yeah. very odd very interesting but mm-hmm. expertly crafted and yeah. um yeah very well done i really enjoyed it and then he's been given the first american ever given the keys to direct a james bond film and not only that but the first time we're ever truly saying goodbye to a Bond character. It's been known from the outset that this is going to be his last uh, outing as James Bond. Daniel Craig himself has had some pretty choice words about playing the character in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, He didn't even really want to return for this one, but they convinced him to kind of see out a final chapter of the film. And it sounds like from more recent interviews that he is glad that he ultimately returned and he did enjoy his experience on the film Mm -hmm. and has spoken nothing but kind words about the cast, the crew, his mm-hmm. experience. So at least he's turned that around a little yeah. bit because his initial words on playing the character were were, were quite harsh. Rough. <laughs> but we knew we knew that this was going to be kind of our our final goodbye to James Bond as this specific character, at least. Whether the movie the the franchise 
kind of like hard resets after this film yeah. or it continues on with some of the same characters but just introduces a new James Bond or something like that I'm not sure mm-hmm. all we know is that this is the end of his story mm-hmm. as a character and I think that's why the movie made the distinction to say James Bond is a moniker that like all of them have yeah we don't even really care about the past James Bonds just this Daniel Craig James Bond is James Bond and none of the other characters in this iteration this universe of it are James Bond or could be James Bond like it is him mm-hmm. um so story rights go to Kerry Joji Fukunaga he's written all the things he's directed he also wrote uh it with Andrew Muschietti um and also they brought on Phoebe Waller-Bridge mm-hmm. to do some writing touch-ups. My thoughts when they hired her on were they wanted to bring on a contemporary female writer to help them out of the sludge of the misogynistic James Bond past. Yeah. Without, I hate watching movies where you can tell that they're doing things just to do them, just to be, hey, remember, we're not misogynistic because we did this thing with mm-hmm. like this female actress or whatever. And I think overall, she did a really good job of advancing the character forward, still keeping, you can still have a character who's good with the ladies. Like he's a handsome guy. He looks good in a suit. He's suave. Like you can still have a character that is James Bond and kind of acts that same way without, you know, being so gross, (laughs) basically. Totally. Um, And you can, you can. You know, there, there was a lot of kind of conversation before the film came out because Craig released a statement where he said, and I don't know if we planned on talking about this on this episode, you can kind of give your thoughts, but he said, a lot of people said next James Bond should be like a woman, you know, mm-hmm. we should mm-hmm. have a female James Bond character. Um, and he said, I don't think the next James Bond should be a woman. James Bond is a guy. That's mm-hmm. what the character is. Yeah. I just think there should be better roles for women yeah. in movies. Yeah. And some people gave backlash and they said, well, you don't understand the significance of like the name of James Bond and what that can do mm-hmm. for a specific actor or actress. And, you know, unfortunately, like women throughout Hollywood history don't have that kind of character name recognition yeah. because they haven't been as represented. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I'm curious. What do you think? What do you think that is like? Mm-hmm. Do you agree with what he says? Do you disagree? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it. I think it would be interesting. I think my fear would be like, I don't know. I think I agree with him in that, like, like make that kind of character for a woman. Why does a woman need to, I guess, because it has the like history and name recognition of coming in and, and joining that. But I I wouldn't want that to happen just for the sake of it happening, you know? Right. You wouldn't want it to turn into like 2016's Ghostbusters, <laughs> right? No, yeah. no, I don't yeah. mean that as like a bad thing towards a movie, but yeah, a reason that movie got a ton of backlash, one, it ended up just being a terrible movie. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that sucks. But uh, unfortunately, that's yeah. the case. But yeah. besides its quality, yeah, you could tell it was just an all-female Ghostbusters just to do to an do all-female it. Ghostbusters. Totally. So, you know, where do we draw the line as far as yeah. like, yeah, that's something that it's hard. And maybe this is just a, a double-edged sword because mm-hmm. society still just sucks in this case. But you 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 say, hey, we're going to make a movie with this, this like all-female lead cast mm-hmm. about women who investigate paranormal activity mm-hmm. and 
people are like, oh, cool, you know, we're not that interested. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Depends how good the movie is. Yeah. But like you always risk them saying, oh, we're not that interested. It's mm-hmm. not going to pull in the bucks that like Ghostbusters as a name yeah. does because yeah. it doesn't have that kind of recognition. It, Hollywood is all about, as far as truly making money, it's all about franchise recognition. It's all about IPs. It's all mm-hmm. about sequels. Mm-hmm. So then you say, okay, we'll do it as part of something. We're going to make a female Ghostbusters. And people say, yeah. well, the Ghostbusters aren't female. You can't yeah. make a female Ghostbusters. So it's like, I don't yeah. know. There's no yeah. winning. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully there is winning. I, yeah. I would, <laughs> yeah. Ideally. I, mean, I think, I think even in this most recent film, you can, and again, I have only seen this one and Skyfall, um, mm-hmm. but Ana de Armas's character and the partnership that she has with James Bond. Um, and then of course, 007, um, the, the new female, the, yeah, the actress, uh, is Lush. Uh, Lashana Lynch um, mm-hmm. is her name. She, yeah, is the the female character who plays 007. So I think there are still ways to um, bring females into different positions in this franchise, other than just being the hot sidekick or the hot lover the or whatever. Girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are ways to incorporate them into the action, into roles in MI6. The- well, and even the the woman in this film, an inspector, who um, ultimately is his love interest, I guess yeah. you could say the Bond girl, yeah. is so much more than just totally. a body or a face. Or totally, yeah. She has, well, though she's not involved in the action as much, mm-hmm. although to, an, to a degree. This one, yeah. A little bit, yeah. But she has more of a role in the story. Yes. And I don't think yeah. when he said that, I don't think he said there should just be better roles for women in Bond films. I, I think he was just saying in Hollywood. Totally. Like you shouldn't yeah. have to replace my character to be this or whatever. Totally. And maybe he's speaking out of line from a point of, well, yeah, you were a white dude who got to be James Bond, yeah. so shut up. But yeah. I mean, also, I think he was asked the question directly in an yeah, interview. Sure. So it sure. makes sense that he answered. But I feel like this also like James Bond, this has been a name for 49 years. So it's something that takes time. And I think, I think that will take time for women in the future. But again, to his point, I think roles need to be written in that way. Mm -hmm. And so if characters aren't being developed, that could one day, 49 years from now lead to something of this magnitude, then that is where I think there's an issue. So Sure. Ideally, it doesn't take 49 years, but totally. But yeah, it it does take time. It didn't take 49 years for James Bond to become James Bond, but I feel like it does take time to. to And I think the Craig era has been trying to move in this direction for a little while, not super successfully. I think Skyfall still has some problematic elements, although they're just less frequent than some of the other films. Yeah. Uh, Spectre honestly just kind of puts those elements on the back burner for a good amount of it and then this film i think really does take some good steps but like you know they're just steps like they're the first of hopefully many yeah and so i think that bringing in phoebe waller bridge i think i could see her kind of stamp on it and her influence her influence in a really Mm -hmm. positive way Mm -hmm. like you said the 007 character played by lashana lynch yeah um in the trailers, she just comes across as like incredibly annoying. Yeah. Kind of that character that's like, I'm the new one. Yeah. You're not. Get yeah. out of my way, old man. And there's some of that kind of dynamic between mm-hmm. them, but she ultimately is far less 
irritating mm-hmm. than they kind of portray her to be, mm-hmm. um, which I'm glad for. Because in the trailer, mm-hmm. not only does she seem irritating as like the young hotshot, but then mm-hmm. especially her being a woman, I didn't want mm-hmm. it to be like uh, this female who thinks she can come in yeah. and like take my place. Like, yeah. oh, what a joke. Like there's a mutual respect between the two, especially mm-hmm. by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. She's not nearly as like annoying of a character as they kind yeah. of portrayed her in the trailer. So I was really grateful for that. And then Anna de Armas, while only being in the film for a brief like 10 minutes is fantastic in the film. Totally. And I really hope that if they don't do a hard reset on the movie, that she mm-hmm. gets to kind Comes of continue yeah. uh, her role as a CIA agent who kind of, you know, maybe once or twice throughout the movies kind of shows up to help bond out of a tough mm-hmm. spot or whatever. Cause she mm-hmm. really was just absolutely amazing in her brief appearance. Yeah. Um, that was one of my negatives of this film was that I wish we had more time with her for oh, as, much as, as much as they, I feel like she was highlighted or was part of the promotion of like her being in it. Uh-huh. It's such a short amount of time that we get to spend with her. And I really do feel like she was such a bright spot. Um, so I am just bummed that we didn't get as much time with her. Um, and then the 007 character, Lashana Lynch, I did I did not really enjoy her. She definitely mm-hmm. had more. I enjoyed her more by the end. Um, but at the beginning, I think I still felt a lot of that of like, oh, you're just kind of annoying to me. So yeah. it's a bummer that you are like the female 007. Right. Um, because I just I just didn't like her at first. But I feel like she had some good development throughout yeah, it. I mean, and- part of it makes sense. Like if you are in her world, probably the first female 007, also one to follow up like James Bond, you would have a sense of kind of snootiness to totally. you. She has like, to prove herself and she's done it. Prove and myself. Yeah. yeah, totally. But it does, yeah, it, it is just, mm-hmm. you know, James Bond is still the main character. James Bond right. is still who we're rooting for. Yeah. And so she comes across as like an annoying character. But yeah. I think what I was saying is just less annoying than the trailer makes it seem mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. And there is some redemption to her character. Although there's scenes between them where they kind of, you know, sillily, sillily? No, that's not right. Silly... I don't know. In a silly way, they <laughs> they argue over who like actually gets the number of yes. 007 yes. and talk about how it's just a number. Mm-hmm. And then later in the film, they're you know like three people are talking and she kind of says he can have it and he, then winks yeah. at him and is like it's just a number. And those scenes like aren't really my favorite. Yeah. They're just a little cheesy and silly, yeah. but it it works for you know what it is and I feel and it like gives it some kind of redemption to like the annoyance yeah. of her character. So yeah. yeah, it works out well. But Anna de Armas revolution not revolutionary but great in her role she was great yeah. really really enjoyed it hope we get to see more of her character yeah. um just the whole cast is it, it's a it's a crazy ensemble cast it's one of those movies where if it was the first movie in its franchise it would be one of those films that were like guess who's in this movie mm-hmm. you have you know this person this person this person you just listen and you're like oh my gosh every actor in hollywood is in that movie mm-hmm. but because those actors have been in them for a while yeah uh you don't get that you're like oh we know they're gonna be in that film right. but it truly is a crazy stacked cast of british mm-hmm. actors mm-hmm. uh who all pull their weight also a, a little piece of representation that i i kind of enjoyed um is q who mm-hmm. plays Bond's basically his gadget guy, his like tech guy, yeah. is played by Ben Winshaw, who Ben Winshaw is a gay actor. In real life, he's gay. And he's played Q since Skyfall in 2012. He mm-hmm. recently came out and said that he thinks 
that the next Bond should be played by a gay actor, which, hmm. but then would the character be gay? I don't right. know. I think right. it kind of runs into the same issues as someone saying it should be played by a female or yeah. it should be played by this person. It's like, well, you know, why are we yeah. trying to, there's obviously a bigger issue that we're ignoring by trying to change this one character yeah. to fit like th- the problems of this larger issue in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, but his character in the franchise has always I don't want to say this in a stereotype type of way, but he's kind of represented Ben Winshaw's personality in real life. Hmm. And Ben Winshaw has publicly, publicly said in the past that Q is gay, mm-hmm. but that's never actually been addressed in the films. Uh-huh. And then in this film, they interrupt him while he's setting the table for a dinner, yeah. a date that's about to happen. And he just briefly mentions that he will be over in just 10 minutes. Yeah. I, I liked the fact that they gave him the opportunity, Ben Winshaw, the actor, to follow through. I'm sure that the the conversations about his character's sexuality had possibly happened between him and writers in the past, but it had just never been something that had been given like on-screen validation. Mm-hmm. And as a gay actor mm-hmm. acting in a big budget film like James Bond, it was probably really important for him to say, totally. Hey, this movie, can we really get that in there mm-hmm. and like solidify this actor as being gay, yeah. but not in a way that makes it seem. Yikes. I just threw my pen at Heather, <laughs> Oops, but not in a way that makes it seem self-serving or, or yeah. anything like that. Totally. And so just to kind of subtly, so I, I feel like for him as an actor, that probably yeah. was really satisfying and, yeah. and important to him to watch on screen and, and see that character fleshed out in that way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. cool. Good for Ben Winshaw. Good for yeah. Q as a character. And I hope he sticks around too. Cause I always really just enjoy really his interactions. Like yeah. yeah. Um, and then rounding out, the cast will go with kind of the the good and the bad mm-hmm. or sorry not the good and the bad the hero and the villain mm-hmm. daniel craig is his final performance as james bond truly throughout these five years i think he's rounded out to be one of the best bond actors the longest tenured bond actor 15 years across his five movies crazy um yeah huge length of a time. long a long time to spend it's a with long the time to spend with a character and this is by far the most outwardly emotional film bond film of all time yeah and you can see that resonate with him and his acting performance on the other side you have the big bad played by rami malik mm-hmm. who is grossly underutilized yeah. in this film but also underwritten and i think that the film really doesn't try to hide that too much i don't think mm-hmm. it's too concerned on how unique of a villain rami malik is probably more so than i'm I'm giving them credit for. They probably mm-hmm. wanted him to be better than he was, mm-hmm. but ultimately they're telling Bond's kind of final outing and it serves as both another example of Bond saving the world and mm-hmm. a very important farewell of Bond saving the world and closing out this character. And so I think that the intentions behind Malik's character, um, how he interacts with Bond's story how he affects Bond personally and his surrounding um, people and the mm-hmm. world as a whole, kind of his plan and how de- how he deconstructs kind of the the Bond villain supremacy of old to this new breed of Bond is really striking and is really well done, but will be better remembered as a concept than he is as a character. Hmm. I think that the way the things that he allows, the emotional residency that he allows Bond and the film to have 
is more impactful than him as an individual character. You could yeah. erase him and replace him with any face, any lines of dialogue, any whatever, sure. and play out the same story, and they would all serve about the same purpose. That's not mm-hmm. speaking to his acting performance. I think mm-hmm. it was fine. It was typical Bond, big bad, um, but not the most memorable villain. You don't have kind of the humanity to his character that you did with Javier Bardem's, you know, very troubled past. You don't have the uh, empathy to his character that you do with Mads Mikkelsen's. Um, I think Lashif was his character's name. Uh, he's too aloof. He's mm-hmm. too, uh, you know, global domination to mm-hmm. really resonate or have any empathy for. But he, his ideas are personal enough in their um, impact to resonate with the rest of the story. So ultimately, I, I liked his plan, his concept, him mm-hmm. as a conceit more than him as an actual character. Yeah. But good job by Malik as you know, an actor. Sure. That's another thing Bond does is they kind of take just any big actor of the day and say, hey, you want to play a fun villain for a movie? Yeah. And they just throw them in there. Yeah. Especially if they've given a good villain role, but even like Malik just having won an Oscar and all that, yeah. they just they're like, hey, you should you should come do this. You should do this. <laughs> um, Fukunaga's direction is assured. It's emotional. It's strong. Um, I think that it's a little sloppy and um, kind of overreaches at points it's a it's a long long film mm-hmm. um but i think that for the most part it stays focused enough on the emotional message it's trying to deliver to really create some solid impact and the and the final closing kind of uh acts of the film are mm-hmm. truly truly uh moving mm-hmm. in a way that bond has never been before uh the score by han zimmer i thought was a great blend of classic bond um music and a more like contemporary emotional punch um i really really enjoyed it i actually probably haven't uh enjoyed a zimmer score that much in a while i think Hmm. it's been a couple years since he's really delivered something that i have truly truly appreciated um and this i really really enjoyed yeah, uh, typically bond you have like the classic score that goes along with the film and then the rest of the score gets lost in classic action film whatever um but this one really had its own unique style while remaining true similar to the movie itself cinematography i thought was really good mm-hmm. um had the cinematography and the visual design had some really dynamic elements that i've never seen in a bond film before they were elegant and and wide shots but they also felt intimate there were there were aspects of horror in the film that mm-hmm. i had never seen in a bond film before um like a, a shootout in foggy misty trees mm-hmm. uh, even the opening sequence with malik's character um really really good dark disturbing yeah um but set a good tone i mean the tone that these this film and it has almost three hours to do it so i guess that's not as impressive but to be able to balance true horror in some senses all-out action end of the world spy stuff Mm -hmm. and like family emotional stuff in Mm -hmm. one film is a lot to juggle and it does it for the most part fairly well um and the visual design kind of just tracks right along with that i think that the end of the film will resonate with a lot of people my mom really liked it which i never expected to like a james bond movie yeah um i think that 
it's not perfect. I, I liked the duration of the final act, although I thought just about every shot in the final act for like the last half hour of the film held on like three seconds too long hmm. to where it, 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 it cut or it, it dragged really what could be really sharp emotional mm-hmm. um, responses to a little bit soft edged and, mm. and maybe cheesy emotional responses in the film. Um, but ultimately quite affecting. I, I, I really, really did enjoy it. Um, and the, the action in this film when it wanted to be was really good. Hmm. One of the least exciting Bond films of the 21st century, not actually that much action. And when it does happen, it's fairly like spread out and not super uh, punchy, but there's like a long take sequence of him going up some stairs with some really good gunplay and some really good fighting that I enjoyed a lot. Unfortunately, that was right at the end of the film. Kind of had to wait quite a while to get there. But once it delivered, it really delivered. And the humor of this film, I think part of this might be Mm. part of uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's impact. But when it was funny, it was really funny. And not a cheesy Marvel way where they can't help but like, you know, cut off any emotional uh, moment by just making some one-liner. Like it, Mm -hmm. it didn't distract from the tone of the film while being genuinely funny in a lot of ways that I felt like other Bond films have, have uh, failed at. So I'm going to give this film an eight out of 10. Ooh. I really, really enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Sorry. That was long. That's okay. That was Bond. That yeah. was Bond. What do you think, Heather? What did you think? Yeah. Um. I, so like we have mentioned, Skyfall is the only one I have seen. So um, what I will say is I feel like I was missing some of the personal investment in this story because I haven't been a part of it. (laughs) You know, like I haven't been a part of uh, just James Bond and particularly Daniel Craig. So I think there is a lot that I could have benefited from by having seen the other films, um, even the even Spectre. So in between, I was, I was missing one. I had a gap. Um, all of that being said, I, like you said, the, the production design and cinematography was just incredible. The opening sequence in particular was striking just some of the the shots that were there. Um, it's set in winter time at, um, this home on a lake and there's this really, uh, just gorgeous shot of this girl who's fallen inside this frozen lake and she's colorfully dressed, but is under the ice. It's just stunning. It was a stunning, um, opening sequence. Um, but then even throughout the film, um, just some really great scenes, um, or locations where they are, uh, that was just incredible. This was also the first one to be shot in IMAX. Is that right? Mm. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I thought, no, I think Skyfall was shot in IMAX. Really? At least parts of it. Was this shot? This was not shot entirely in IMAX. There's no way. I'm not sure. I thought I read something about it, but that could have been wrong. If so. Anyways. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, regardless, visually Mm -hmm. beautiful. It is. um, Super stunning. Um, The biggest win for me on the acting front, I think was Leah Sedu. I don't know if that's mm. how you say her name. Um, but she, uh, plays Madeline, um, uh, 
uh, James Bond's James Bond. Yeah. James yeah. Bond's love interest. Uh, and she was inspector as well. Is that right? She was. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought her performance was just fantastic and, uh, really enjoyed. I think she was a huge driver to the emotion that is brought out in James Bond and his character, um, throughout, which, which was beautiful. Um, the score, like you mentioned from Hans Zimmer was really great. Also, um, as far as some of the things I didn't love as much, I already mentioned, um, Ana de Armas, just not getting a lot of time with her. Uh, that was a loss for me and hopefully, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows what will happen in the future if she'll come yeah. back. But, um, if anything, I thought she was just a great fit for that role, even though it was brief. Um, Rami Malek's villain was not villainous enough for me. <laughs> I didn't, I don't know. I thought his character was just a little bit shallow. It also felt like there was so many storylines, I guess, throughout mm -hmm. the film that it felt a little muddled to me at times. Yeah. Like I wish they would have it was that down. Up a lot. Yeah. yeah I, it, I think it genuinely was just trying to tie up everything. Um, which again, as someone who doesn't know all of those storylines. It was a little bit hard to connect to certain ones because I didn't know the history of it. So um, I think as a standalone, I would have wanted some of those to be pared down a bit more and maybe to focus in um, more on his, his villain. But yeah. um, you also don't see his villain until a solid hour, 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah. You really, it's really like a second half performance. Yeah. Well, sorry. He has a, an appearance in the opening sequence but totally. and then later on in the story uh because the opening sequence is kind of a flashback uh you don't see him until almost halfway through the film mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. kind of really cram his whole arc and his motivations behind things into the end there which i think is part of why he struggles yeah yeah um, yeah. And then I think going into it, I was a little bit concerned about how long it was. I think mm -hmm. I was just nervous that, that it was long and I was worried that I wasn't going to be, uh, invested the whole time, but I genuinely was, and was drawn in. And I think particularly, um, the last third or so was, was a great wrap up. So yeah, yeah it was one of those movies it. where watching it, I could feel that it was a long movie. Some long yeah. movies I watch and genuinely like, oh my gosh, almost three hours has already flown by. Like that's right. crazy. Right. This I got of it out of it and I said, no, that felt like two hours and 43 yeah. minutes. Yeah. I just didn't really care. Hmm. I, yeah. I was invested enough. I enjoyed it enough that yeah. it didn't bother me how long it was. Yeah. We unfortunately were in a, a showing where people were constantly getting up. There was mm. one guy in the row in front of us in particular. I think he got up at least three or four times, which like, I don't know we, it happens. Sometimes you have to leave. Um, but that was a little bit distracting. There yeah, were, there was tough. also a, um, I think he was maybe like a, an, an early teen, uh, who was sitting in front of us, who was having a really hard time sitting still. Um, and those kinds of things are just distracting in a, yeah. in a theater with people. Um, so anyways, it, uh, yeah, I enjoyed my viewing, uh, really glad that I got to, that I got to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have, 
do you have any like brief initial thoughts on moving forward who you'd be interested in seeing take over this role? Or I know there's been some talk about potential Uh people of who it could be, but I know for a long time, even from like 2015, when Daniel Craig first kind of was (laughs) announced, uh, his kind of aspirations to leave the character Idris Elba was tossed around, although he's publicly stated multiple times, uh, like back then he said, I'm not in any talks to do it since then he said no I'm not going to do it and then now with this release he said I am not going to be James Bond yeah um I don't know if that's just it's not working out or he has no interest in it yeah doesn't sound like that's the case um I know Cillian Murphy was thrown around Mm -hmm. he seems a little too scrawny for me Hmm. um like I know James Bond has always been a leaner character and I'm sure he could bulk up I have no doubt his ability to do that but he 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 would successfully kind of portrayed the intelligence that I think Bond requires, mm. but not as much as the brawn as I think mm. a character like Bond typically uh, like that physical threat. Yeah. Other than that, I haven't heard many other names officially tossed mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know who I would want to take yeah. up the mantle. I, I haven't given much thought to it. I'm, I'm okay. I know this is funny given that we just experienced the longest distance mm-hmm. between two Bond films, but I'm okay taking some time away from the character Hmm. especially just with all things going on with all the talk around hey we need to change this character yeah maybe it's a good idea to take a good amount of breathing room between each movie and and really think about how you want to move forward yeah but did did you have some suggestions well uh esquire actually wrote an article about some potential people that they have either heard, um, have interest or have heard their name thrown out. Um, so on that list, it includes, uh, Regé Jean Page, who, uh, is from Bridgerton, the lead from Bridgerton, um, Idris Elba, of course, um, Tom Hardy has been one. Um, he's one, you know, it's funny as Tom Hardy and Cillian Murphy have worked together on like seven different projects they're uh-huh. kind of known for working together and i've uh-huh. heard his name tossed around as well as well as cillian murphy's um and they kind of represent two sides of the same spe- or of, of like the wrong spectrum to me yeah cillian murphy i think represents the more intelligent side again this is not speaking to like them as people totally I, I'm, I'm sure that both of them are great guys totally. smart guys yeah just their kind of on-screen personas or presences yes Sally murphy doesn't seem to impose as great of a physical threat yeah. whereas i think tom hardy is almost too much of a physical threat he's too brawny not that yeah. he's no brains but bond is like a weird middle not a weird middle ground a very slight middle ground of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. kind of he's a physical threat but he's not just like this he's not the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he has more kind of detective work to him. So it's kind of funny that you say that. And then yeah. the actor from Bridgerton, he's, he's gay. Is he not the actor himself? Uh, I don't believe so. No. Oh, which I, I haven't watched Bridgerton, which describe yeah. the actor to me. Um, he's a he, African-American yeah, character? he's a black oh, okay. man. Um, who's the main white British. actor in Bridgerton? Oh, I don't know. His oh, I guess name. he's he's British, so he's not African American. But um, well, you can be African American or you, yeah, black. Right. Yeah. Um, the white main male actor yeah. is who. So Ben Winshaw had suggested some gay actors that he wanted to be the next uh, James Bond, and one of them was one of the main actors from Bridgerton. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I don't remember his name though. 
yeah i don't think yeah i don't think he's gay but um uh pierce brosnan the former james Mm -hmm. bond uh actually does think tom hardy could be a good fit he said i'd be happy to see him do it you need an actor who can put a bit of wiggle into it that's what makes bond uh so coming from a bit of wiggle into it such a british thing to say yeah yeah Uh, i have no i have no doubt in my mind that any of those actors especially could do you know, it. Cillian Murphy or Tom Hardy could yeah. do it. I'm yeah, not saying totally. that I don't think he could do it. Totally. Yeah. Also on this list is Richard Madden, um, who uh, was in Game of Thrones. And then of oh, course yes, is yes. coming up in the Eternals. Um, Lashana Lynch, which we have already talked about. Um, mm-hmm. However, uh, um, is she a producer? Broccoli, the last name Broccoli. I don't know. She is somehow involved with um, this franchise. She has already dismissed the possibility of a female bond. Uh, so who knows, but Lashana Lynch, of course. Um, and then, like you said, uh, Cillian Murphy is also on the list. So out of all of those, Madden seems to fit or Madsen. Madsen? Madden. Richard Madden. Madden. Yeah. Richard Madden seems to fit the most like typical bond. Mm-hmm that I would think of uh, both in looks and uh, kind of smoothness. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, yeah, either way, I'm sure that any of those actors would be fully capable of taking up the mantle or, you know, I'm, I'm down for someone totally new as long as they make a good casting decision. Yeah. That'd be super cool. A bond. I mean, bonds always kind of been one of those characters where they cast someone big. It's like Batman, Mm -hmm. like, no one casts an unknown Batman actor, yeah, yeah. but uh, so Bond similar. So I, 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 it would be weird for me to imagine that they would cast someone who no one really knew yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like one of those characters from like a TV show is certainly less known than someone like Tom mm-hmm. Hardy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Might be interesting. Yeah. As a whole, I think that their ability to pull off this five movie arc with Daniel Craig not perfectly it's been some ups and downs for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. but overall in what i consider a really memorable and a really satisfying way i would easily revisit the five films more than i i would watch all five films back to back before i would probably revisit like more than two of the other films individually sure yeah um and i think that just speaks to what they've done with the character and so either way considering for the most part producers will stay the same um i'm excited for wherever they do take the character yeah yeah that's great i love that all right well thank you to daniel craig and uh the past many many years that he has given to this character um like we have talked about that's just a huge part of his life and career and he gets to say goodbye to it now and that will forever be a part of his journey. Um, but I'm happy for him. It seems like he is just ready to, to move on and do some other things. Um, and also to open this character up to whatever the future holds. So thank you for that great, uh, history lesson on the franchise, Wyatt and Mm, anytime for all of you, uh, out there who, have seen these movies or who have not yet gone to see no time to die, um, be sure to do that. Cause it's a, a great experience and certainly made for the theater. So go check it out.
go check it out. All right. As always, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Congratulations, Heather. Really, really blazing this trail. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thanks. Yeah, we're all we're all proud of you. Mm-hmm. We're all rooting for you. That that took a little bit of a turn. <laughs> <laughs>